Welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church. We are delighted you have chosen to listen in today. It's our hope the message of Jesus will continue to spread and bear fruit, both in your life and the world around us. For more digital content, feel free to check us out on the web at calvarybcmoultrie.com. And now for today's message. So during the month of January, right, we are considering what might be considered a vision statement by some. You're like, what's a vision statement? And a vision statement is nothing more than a collected ideal principle or a guiding principle for a group of people. And last week we saw that this concept that we're focusing on this year and encouraging the body of Christ is to be explicitly Christian. Explicitly Christian. And we saw last week that we are members of God's family living for a kingdom we cannot see. And Pastor David walked us wonderfully through this section, helping us consider that, according to Ephesians, we have been adopted. For those who have repented and believed that we are no longer known by merely our physical earthly names, but now we are known as God's children. And because of that, we've been given a new identity as his people. And out of the overflow of that identity, we now live not for an earthly kingdom, but an eternal kingdom, one that Christ himself is preparing. Why does this matter? Why does it matter in a community filled with vague Christianity that we understand the Bible calls us to something explicit, something specific in our understanding of Christianity? Well, three main things, I think, why this is important for you to even listen today. The one, there's a lot of misplaced confidence because of vague Christianity. A lot of misplaced confidence. There are people that live still for the earth and expect heaven when they're done living for the earth. Simply because they maybe repeated a prayer or did some religious act in the past. Not only is there misplaced confidence because of vague Christianity, there is gospel confusion because of vague Christianity. It waters down the gospel's call to come and die to yourself and follow me. The result is that nobody really knows what Christianity is or isn't anymore when we are surrounded by people who are just vaguely Christian. But worst of all, there are many, because of the effects of vague Christianity, who mock God himself. Those who do not follow God end up mischaracterizing God's people and even mischaracterizing God himself because we claim one thing and yet live another way. And this happens among us and throughout our world. We must believe what the Bible calls us to be as God's people through his Spirit. And just as a reminder, right, if you'll, you'll see up on the screen here, all three of these statements that we're going through last week, this week, and next week all flow out of this statement. It says, because. I see the one, two, three, but then you see the because of there. There's an importance of that first phrase, right? So let's read that first phrase. It says, because, our, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we are now forever changed and seek to be explicitly Christian. That's the foundation of everything that we do. These three statements, to to live for a kingdom we cannot see as members of God's people, to be Christ's servants, showing hospitality and giving sacrificially, and to be intentionally and compellingly evangelistic in all that we do, it, it flows out of the work and foundation that Christ has done for us. Please understand, we are not saying that we are the only ones that have this figured out. There are lots of faithful people in Moultrie and throughout the world. 
But we do see an unhealthy majority of vague Christianity in our community. And as a result of that, we want to call us to what the Bible calls us to, and that's to live explicitly for Christ. We want to be known as a church that preaches, teaches, serves, lives, and counsels in a way that could not be heard of in an Islamic mosque, a Jewish synagogue, a Mormon temple, a liberal church, or any other social organization like the Kiwanis or the Lions Club. We want the way we live and the way we speak to be so distinguished by Christ that it could not be confused for anything else other than what the Bible says is followers of Jesus himself. So here, here's one way to think about it, maybe. I think all types of organizations, all religions, all social clubs, all groups of people live out, live out of one particular question. They're trying to answer what's wrong with us. And they're trying to bring about the solution to what they perceive is wrong with us. You could say it this way. What's wrong with humanity or the human race? And now let's make all of our energy and effort to making that changed. Undoubtedly, some of you who may be here today maybe think our problem is simply a knowledge problem. Simply that we just need to educate people about God and His ways. That's exactly what any Islamic person could say. It's exactly what any Jewish person could say. Learn the Torah. And you will be saved. Maybe, maybe others of us might be thinking humanity's greatest problem is that our moral compass, our right and wrong understanding, is just ever so slightly off. Right? So what we need is good after-school programs and social clubs that help understand what character and kindness are. Still others may think the problem is simply we need some of our behaviors changed. You know, behavior modification. We need better laws and better consequences for those who break the laws. But imagine this. I love working in my yard. I love trimming trees. Especially love trimming trees. I think trees are a wonderful gift of the Lord to help us understand a bunch of amazing things. But imagine we had this beautiful oak tree in our yard. And one day, you notice that the leaves are starting to turn colors. And it's not the fall season. They're turning this brownish yellow and... So what you do is you go to hardware store and you get your favorite color green that looks just like, and you start spray painting all the leaves. And they look great now. But then just a few weeks later, you notice the bark on the limbs and the trunk of the tree is starting to fall off. You're like, man. So I go and I find the strongest glue I can at the hardware store and I put it all back on. And now it looks what? It looks great. Green leaves, bark is all attached but you haven't fixed the problem. The problem is in the root. What if I told you addressing the issues above that we mentioned earlier, as if they are humanity's main problem, is nothing more than spraying the leaves or gluing the bark back on. And churches are full of this type of fixing people. Social clubs are full of these types of fixing people. Religions around the world and in our context are full of this type of fixing people people. But all of these are symptoms of a greater problem. The reality is that we all, human beings, are alienated from our maker and our creator. We are separated from the God who has breathed life into us and who sustains all things. That's our problem. We are separated from God. And there's nothing we can do. We cannot educate our way back to God. We cannot legislate laws in order to climb up the ladder of morality to God. 
Instead, what if God moved or acted in such a way that he came down to us? That he clothed himself in humanity, living not with any error or sin, but so that he might bring us back to God. This is what he did. This is what Jesus came to do. Jesus, God himself, was the one who took on human flesh and lived out a righteousness that we could not. Then he willingly took the punishment on the cross due our sin, drinking the wrath that our sin deserves. Yet death did not stop him, did it? No, he rose from the grave three days later and ascended to the Father, and he lives to reign forevermore. And all who believe in him, all who repent of their sins, turning from their ways of rebellion, and believe in Christ as their only hope in life and in death, they are adopted into God's family and given a kingdom that cannot be shaken. They're sealed by God's Spirit and called to live in this broken world as explicit followers of Christ. But how? How are we to live explicitly Christian? It's really what this statement number two begins to address. And today we're going to see the argument that we serve as servants for Christ's sake, showing hospitality and giving sacrificially to all. Do you realize this is actually the theme of God's people from the beginning? God's people have always been concerned not about just God's people, but about all people. We'll see this from the scripture in just a little bit. And maybe, maybe you're a guest here today. You've been visiting for a couple of weeks and you're, you hear this concept of serving and giving and hospitality. And you're like, I, I already do that. So, so why believe in Jesus? I already do these things. And that, one, that's a great question. These terms are not explicitly Christian. So what makes them different for those who follow Christ? Well, here's the reason. For followers of Christ, being servants, giving, and being hospitable, they're secondary to something greater. See, they flow out of a different origin from the world, and they have a different end goal. See, when the world serves and gives or shows hospitality to those around them, it originates from the place of pride, self-glorification. Now, none of us would say that, but if you really think about it hard enough, you invite people over to your house because you want them to think what? That you're a pretty good person. You give sacrificially maybe to different organizations because at the end of the day, you want to feel like you've accomplished something, that you've left the world better than you found it. All of those are grounded and rooted in pride. We all do this, right? The child who picks up their room simply so that they can get their mom or dad to approve that they want to go to the movies later. The 20-something-year-old who just moved into an apartment and begins to open up her apartment to her neighbors because she just wants to be known as the good neighbor. Maybe she's even just a little bit lonely. Or maybe it's the older couple who serves in the local soup kitchen, throws regular holiday parties, but deep down, they just want to be known as somebody who made a difference. That's not what we're calling us to. That's not what the Bible calls us to. See, each of those acts originates in the same place. They want something in return. They want to make a name for themselves. This is what separates us, those who are in Christ, from those who serve in these ways in the world. So look there again back at Matthew in chapter 20. What we need to understand is we serve for Christ's sake because Christ has first served us. Let me say that again. We serve for Christ's sake because Christ has first served us. 
We see this there in Matthew chapter 20. Look again specifically at verse 25. Again, we know from this section that the mother of the sons of Zebedee, James and John, they brought them, she brought them to Jesus. And she was, you know, as any good mama do, petitioning for something for her children. But she came to the Messiah, the, the maker of heaven and earth, and said, would you please let my son sit at the highest seats of honor when you establish your kingdom? And Jesus said to them, you do not know what it is that you are asking. She goes, but would you? And look at verse 25. Because he saw in verse 24 that the ten, the other disciples there, they were indignant at the two brothers. And look at verse 25. He says, but Jesus called them to him and he said, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. So I start with this statement. He knew in this moment, those disciples and and their mother came to Jesus still out of a heart of, I'm trying to follow you to get something for myself. And he says, we're not like the Gentiles who, who lord over those whom they are over. Who exercise authority in an unprofitable way. And look at verse 26. It's as clear as day. It shall not be so among you. God's people... God's followers are not those who lord over others. So what are they? Well, he says it. But whoever would be great among you must be your, what does it say? Servant. God's people are known because they are what? Servants. But I love what he does here. Keep reading because this is important. He says in verse 27, And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as. That's a key word, even as. What kind of a word is that? What is it helping us to associate this service that he's calling them to with? He's saying, don't forget the fact of what I'm right now doing for you. Because I am now coming here on this earth to serve you, to redeem you, to purchase you, to seal you, to forgive you. Because I've lowered myself down the rung and served those who rebelled, you will also serve. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The way Jesus corrects these people, these disciples here, is that he exposes a fundamental problem with their understanding of what it meant to follow Jesus. They thought to follow Jesus meant, I get more accolades, I get more prestige. And he says, whoa, you've missed the point, guys. To follow me is to be loved by me and served by me. And out of that, now become the servant of all. And this isn't just merely an Old Testament concept. Austin, who was teaching us this Wednesday from 3 John, referenced this text of Scripture. And I want us to look at it again. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 33 and 34. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 33 and 34. This is what it says. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. You shall love them as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now this is the interesting part, right? We don't hear hospitality or or service or anything like that. But it says you treat the stranger that's among you as if they are what? Just like a native. You show them love and kindness. And now here's the key thing. Look at verse 35. 4, excuse me. 
Four. Guys, if, if any of you have kids, real quick, listen. This is why you need to listen to your teachers, to your moms and your dad as they're teaching you to learn. Because English helps us understand how God actually forms truths. And so this word for right here, right? This is a word. It's a theological way of saying this is the grounding of what, you're, what, you, what I called you to do up here. Because of this, you can do this. So he's saying, out of this, and what does it say? For you were once sojourners where? In Egypt. I'm the Lord your God. Don't forget what I've done for you. And out of that, go and serve others. We could say it this way. Israel, serve the sojourners because God has so well served you in rescuing you from Egypt. In the same way that the New Testament we saw there in Matthew chapter 20. We serve for Christ's sake because he has first served us. This is crucial. This is what separates our service from that of the world. We are not serving to get anything. We are serving because we have already been so well served. And I think that's part of our problem. Is we have gospel amnesia. We often forget how well we've been served by Christ. We forget how much of a sinner and an enemy of God we once were. And yet, by His grace and through His mercy, He has served us. So Jesus, back in Matthew chapter 20... He's telling these disciples, you are not to use your position to lord over those in the same way that those of the world serve others. But understand this, you are called to serve because I have served you so well. I've purchased you. I've sealed you by my spirit. Jesus understood these men were enslaved to their pride, as you and I once were. We were enslaved to only serving, only being kind to people because we wanted to make a name for ourselves. God frees us from that. And here's what makes this good news. Because the world sometimes, when you're serving them, they don't treat you kindly. They don't acknowledge you. They don't recognize your loving well. And if, if the root of your service is your pride and you don't get those things, guess what begins to happen? You grumble, you complain, and you whine. But the Christian, our grounding is already what we've been given in Christ. So that when we are maligned when we're serving, so that we are made fun of for the way we are hospitable and gracious to all, our identity is still secure and we can do so without any grumbling or complaining. It's amazing. It changes the way you begin to live your life. Because, brothers and sisters, as we're called to serve for Christ's sake, there is going to be tough and difficult situations. Many of you have already experienced them. Maybe you're in the midst of that right now. If you're serving your neighbor and they treat you like crap in return, the world would stop serving. They would get on Twitter or Facebook or whatever those social platforms and complain, right, about the fact that no one's recognizing what they're doing. The Christian, not so. With the joy of the Lord in our heart and what he saved us 
from and brought us unto himself because of what he's done, we can continue to serve even when we're not recognized. Better still is that Christians, we can serve our enemies. Think about that. I mean, we hear it all over the Gospels, right? We hear Jesus says, oh, yeah, everybody loves those who love him, but do you love your enemies? And here's where we have to do gospel work in our heart. He says, don't forget you were once my enemy. That you rebelled against me, your God and your maker, trying to be God of your own life. And what did I do? I loved my enemies and I served them. We serve for Christ's sake because he first served us, his enemies. This radically changes the motive of Christian service and the strength we have to endure. There's no expiration date on serving the world around you for Christ's sake. There's no retirement age of serving the world or the body of Christ. Instead, we do it with every last breath we have. There's this wonderful lady in Pastor Anon's church in Honduras. Pastor Anon was telling me the story not too long ago who, who lost her husband. And the next Sunday, her husband was had a funeral for him on Thursday. The next Sunday, they had some guests coming in to, to do some things with Pastor Anon in this congregation, much like we come. And he says, this lady wanted nothing more but then to have these people at her house. She goes, please, please, let me, Pastor Anon, let me have them over to my house. I want to love on them. I want to encourage them. Who does that? Only someone who has had their whole life reorientated around being served so well for Christ can press into the hardest of situations and still serve. So, brothers and sisters, when your service goes unnoticed, what are you preaching to yourself? So that you endure, so that you persevere. You have to remind yourself, Jesus loved me and served me when I was paying no attention to him. I was not seeking after him. He found me when I was in the miry clay, serving myself and the things of this world. And he's given me his spirit so that now I can walk in a manner pleasing to him. I can keep serving even if no one pays attention. Or, or, or maybe what do you do when your service goes misunderstood? When your kind words are twisted to say you were manipulating the situation. What do you preach to yourself? What do you remind yourself of? Maybe we should say, I'm not my own, but I've been bought with a price. My breath, my life, my all is his. And he can use it in any way he wants. Because he's promised me an inheritance greater than anything this world has to offer. I can be mistreated. Because he was mistreated. And has redeemed me and given me an identity that's unshakable. And here's where this changes from a worldly service or kindness or hospitality to Christian hospitality. Because the world demands recognition and demands to be understood. And we as Christians, we preach Christ and we serve others for his sake. Not demanding to be understood are always understood or recognized. But God's people, we don't react in the way the world reacts. Why? Because our greatest hope in life and in death is that we are not our own. 
but belong to God. So how is this serving for Christ's sake to be lived out? Well, we see this in two primary ways. You see it in in the statements that is there. It says, we are servants for Christ's sake. And then it gives us two things. These are not all-encompassing. These are just particular for our community. Pastor Dave and I want to hold for you. And it's showing hospitality and giving sacrificially to all. So we need to ask ourselves, what is showing hospitality? What is giving sacrificially? Well, listen to this statement. Showing hospitality and giving sacrificially is creating space and care for others to be known and welcomed. To be known and welcomed. I want you to have those two kind of things in your mind. To be hospitable, to give sacrificially for the care of others is to help others to to be known and welcomed. We read Romans chapter 12 earlier, but if you would go there with me as I want to show some things to you. Romans chapter 12. Three different places within the New Testament we see the command to be hospitable and to God's people. This is one of the first ones we see in Romans chapter 12. If you look at verse 13 in that long list of marks of a true Christian that Pastor David read for us, it says in verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now here's the interesting thing. There's a, one of my favorite things to do is to watch uh, treasure hunting shows. I just love the concept of like, Figuring out clues. Like, I love the movies National Treasure. I just, smart people who can figure out cool clues. I love that. Probably because I can't do it well. But I love it. Because they, they see something that's worth pursuing, and they give their everything to it. And this word seek here is in, that we see here in verse 13, has the same connotation. To pursue it with zeal and with passion, Right? Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit, verse 11 says. So serve the Lord. Seek with passion, with diligence to what? Show hospitality. But don't miss something. If you're you're in the Pew Bible, flip over one page to chapter 12, verse 1. Chapter 12, verse 1. This is the opening of this line of argumentation Paul's doing here. And look at verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore. Remember that word for in Leviticus? That was the grounding with which we served. He called the people to serve because I've rescued you from Egypt. Now go and serve the sojourner among you. What Paul's doing here, he's saying, therefore. Therefore what? Look at the phrase. By the mercies of God. So Paul has just spent 11 chapters explaining the glories of justification by faith. And he says, because of that, now go and do all these things. So it's not like he's saying, show hospitality to show yourself worthy. He's not doing that. He's saying, because of the mercies God's already given you and the grace he has bestowed upon you, go and seek to show hospitality with all diligence. What's interesting is you could almost think of grace as God's hospitality. Enemies at his table. Grace is an unmerited favor given through Christ, by Christ. The only reason you and I, or anyone who's repented of their sins and believed in Jesus, the only reason we are called God's people is because of Christ. He's welcomed us in, not because of ourselves, but because of his own glory. 
So we see this not only here in Romans, but we see it in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2. That helps us to fill out the understanding of hospitality. He says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Or in 1 Peter 4, 2, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, I love these two because what they help us to see, when I think of hospitality, I think sometimes having people in the church over to my house. But 13 in Hebrews chapter two, or chapter 13, verse 2 tells us what? Be hospitable to who? Strangers. Really, the word hospitable means love of strangers. That's what the word means. So it helps us to understand that there's a demeanor. We don't do it with grumbling. Oh, man, I've got to have David over my house again. What she cooked for himself. Oh man, Brian's kids were over there the other day, and now we got a big stain in the middle of the living room carpet. We do so without grumbling. Why? By the mercies of God. He didn't demand us to become anything to come to him. He says, I bring you to myself through my son. He doesn't say, clean up your act, and then you can come to me. And we don't, as God's people, say, clean up your act, and then I'll be hospitable to you. We invite the enemy, the stranger, and the body of Christ, the one another of First Peter. And now in hearing the call of hospitality and giving for Christ's sake, I want to make sure you're not thinking of it merely of inviting people to your table. Because I know immediately some of you are like, well, I just, I'm single. I'm really a bad cook. So I don't think I'm going to be very hospitable. And you're calling us to be hospitable for Christ's sake and serve our community this way. See, hospitable is more about an attitude of creating a space where people can come into and be known as an image bearer of God. It's a space where they feel welcomed and cared for. Think about Jesus, the most hospitable human ever, and he went to other people's houses and was hospitable. And he ate with sinners and with tax collectors. But they felt known and welcomed by him, though they were enemies of God. He created space for them to be known and treated with some level of dignity. And I know maybe there's an immediate objection. Because as I think about this, it's probably going to be, well, Pastor Josh, if I'm giving sacrifice to him, bidding him hospitable all, I'm creating space for people to feel welcomed and known. Does that mean I'm condoning the sinful behavior of the people that I'm being hospitable to? Because that, that gets thrown around a lot, right? Like, if you're here and you're a sinner, maybe you are someone who doesn't know the Lord, doesn't claim to know the Lord, you're in all kinds of things, and, and you come to this table, you think you're about to be preached at. We'll talk about that next week and how our language and our communication changes. But for now, what you need to understand is that's not what we're doing. You see, what being known and being a welcoming environment, it means looking at the person and saying, I'm no better than you were. I don't look down on you because I know my own sins. I know from where Christ has saved me from. I wasn't of a better breed. So God saved me. And so we as God's people, we don't treat people that way. But we invite all types of people into our home. One of the greatest examples of this is Rosa Butterfield. Has anyone ever heard of Rosa Butterfield? She's got a Ph.D. in, in literature. And she was a professor at an Ivy League school in a professing lesbian relationship and a homosexual relationship. 
And yet there was a Presbyterian dad, uh, excuse me, a husband, a Presbyterian pastor and his wife that invited her into their home. And they began to love on her and began to speak truth to her. In two years of her spending multiple times in that person's home, Christ broke into her darkness and showed himself to her. Why? Because they were willing to welcome her, to love her, while still speaking truth. She's wrote a great book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. So if you ever like, man, I really don't understand this, co- this concept of hospitality, look at this book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key. It's a great book that will be helpful for you. Yes, we speak Christ and truth, but we are not inviting people over because we want gospel confrontations. The gospel confronts people, absolutely. But we as God's people should not be those who are being confronted, confronting others simply because we are expecting them to be something they can't be apart from Christ. So today we're focusing on the attitude and demeanor of a Christian who want to live explicitly for Christ's sake. And Rosa Butterfield, she says this as one of the statements in her book. She says this, listen to it. She goes, one of the big reasons that I had resistance to Christ was that the people of God were so judgmental. Wow. I had to act or I had to look like them in order to have any type of discussions with them. But then this pastor and his wife took me in, didn't agree with my lifestyle, didn't agree with the things that I believed, but welcomed me and had conversations with me, spoke Christ to me. You see, this is the type of people that the Bible calls us to, is to serve all for Christ's sake, showing hospitality, being a welcoming person that people love to be around. So what are the implications of this? So whether you are inviting people into your home or you're going to other people's home or you're eating at a restaurant or you're hanging out at the ball field, we are called to serve others for Christ's sake. Finding ways to be an opening and space for people to feel loved and known without requiring them to change beforehand. Does that make sense? God did not say, fix yourself up and then come to me. This does not mean we do not speak truth. This does not mean we do not speak clearly who Christ is and the fact of what the Bible says we are as sinners in the hands of an angry God. But some practical things. There's nothing that I love more than when we sing our last song and we say, you are dismissed. Because none of you get it. Y'all don't dismiss. Which is fine. I love that about this church. That you hang out together and most of you are like trying to figure out, hey, you got somewhere to go? Hey, you got somewhere to go? And, and you're inviting people into your home and you're saying, hey, let's, let's do so. And we can go to Applebee's and sit down and, and you just do it. And that's beautiful. It's one of the things that I was so encouraged by Austin. And he says that he's been at no more than ten, nine to ten different people's homes already in this year and a half of being in this congregation. And he says most of that was before I was even a member. People sending me birthday cards. This is beautiful. But I do want to say this. Don't think you have to have a fancy meal. Our Sunday meals are served on paper plates with plastic spoons and forks. Because I want 
to potentially not have to go do the dishes or ask someone in our home to go and just be with the people that are there. It's okay. It's not about fancy meals. Nothing wrong with doing a good, nice meal for someone. But remember, it's more about the demeanor, the welcoming spirit. Maybe we could show hospitality by serving as your son or daughter's basketball coach at the Y-Ball. Nothing's going to stretch you more than serving in those capacities. And show them that it's more about loving than winning. Engage with those at the gym or your favorite hangout spot. It's more about showing respect than proving that you are better than them. Brothers and sisters, think just for a moment. You were a rebel. Born a sinner. Choosing everything apart from worshiping God and delighting in Him and all that He is for us. Every thought and every action was rebel thoughts. Living for self. Pride. Even if you had good parents who taught you how to be nice. But God welcomed you in. So may we now go be those who serve for Christ's sake because Christ has first served us. Showing hospitality and giving to all types of people. Not expecting them to fix themselves before we show them kindness. But maybe you're here today and you do not trust Christ yet. Maybe this is the first time you've even thought about the fact of how God welcomes you in. I would encourage you to consider Christ. Go speak to one of our members or one of our pastors after the service. But to all of us, may we now go and live not for selfish gain. Lording over those around us because we have been given life in Christ. But because we've been given life in Christ. Go serve your neighbors in your community. Thanks for listening in to today's message. For more information about our church, feel free to visit us at calvarybcmoultrie.com. We hope you will join us again next time. Until then, grace and peace.